Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. I'm a little obsessive, I think. So when I fall in love with something, then I just, I can't help myself. And it's all I want to do all the time. And it's been that way with ceramics too. It, this was never something that I intended to be my career. It was something that started because I just fell in love with it and was passionate about making it and loved the way that it felt to make things. Um, and then the business kind of has just been a byproduct of that. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Sarah Van Raden is a self-taught potter with a background in styling and design. 
She owns a small shop in Portland, Oregon in the USA called Notary Ceramics that specializes in sourcing handmade and thoughtfully designed products that beautifully accompany her own line of hand-thrown ceramics. I've had the pleasure of enjoying one of Sarah's beautiful pieces of ceramics, one of her lights in my own home, and I've actually used it in many styling shoots. So I'm very excited to share this conversation with you. She is a beautiful soul, a kindred spirit, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you and learn more about your journey because I'm very familiar with your beautiful ceramics and your beautiful shop as well. But I don't know as much about your background and I'm curious to learn more about it. So I often like to start at the beginning, you know, sort of to get a sense of, you know, what kind of childhood you had and does that, do you think that that kind of led to this creative journey that you've been on? Um, can you just shine a little bit of a light on, you know, where you grew up and um, how that might have informed where you are today? Yeah. First, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be able to talk to you. I absolutely adore your books and we love carrying them in the shop and I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, so I grew up in rural Oregon here in the United States um, on about 15 acres. We didn't really have a working farm, but we had a lot of wildlife, a lot of animals and a pretty, um, pretty free, pretty wild childhood. And I have one sister and she and I would spend most of our time outside playing in the dirt or playing in the forest, making forts and fairy houses and all different kinds of um, creative explorations. My mom's also an artist and um, growing up, she was really encouraging of us making our own Christmas presents, um, birthday presents, things like that for our relatives and our friends. And so I definitely got started young, um, kind of starting to collect things from the natural world and uh, repurposing them. Great. And so what about then when you kind of then went into, you know, those later years of, you know, teenagerhood where you're starting to think about, you know, what is it that I want to do? What are my next steps once I finish school, when I, when I finish high school? Um, what was percolating for you then? Like, did you think that you were going to go down a sort of artistic path? Not necessarily. No, I spent my junior year of high school abroad in Germany. Um, and that was kind of the first time that I'd been exposed to a little bit of fashion and um, gotten outside of my rural roots. And I definitely fell in love with fashion and clothes and a little bit was a little bit more exposed to art um, in that year. I was in Berlin. So the the juxtaposition between the 15 acres that I grew up on and then being thrown into kind of this urban setting was, was huge. And um, it definitely inspired me and got me thinking more about art as a career, but I still had no confidence that, that that would be my path. And so when I went to college, I ended up studying anthropology and uh, spent all four years just falling in love with sociology and anthropology and learning about other cultures and people. And um, But I started sewing in my closet kind of 
uh, during my free time and my downtime and started making clothes and some of my friends wanted to buy them. And that kind of led me when I graduated from school to start my own little clothing line. Oh, great. And, um, <laughs> and so what, um, yeah, like how, how did you go about that then? Like, it, was it, how were you selling it and yeah, all of the details. It was pre Instagram and all things really internet that made things too terribly easy for us. So it was a lot of door to door. Like I would approach the shops that I absolutely loved and see if they would be interested in consigning some of my pieces. And I got really lucky and um, got into some really beautiful shops in my area and then a few up in Seattle and Tacoma. And then we, I ended up hosting a little fashion show uh, for the clothes and had a pretty good turnout. I think it was after about a year and a half though, my husband or I, at the time he was my boyfriend, we did the math and realized that I was making about a dollar 50 an hour. <laughs> and that it wasn't, it was so much fun and it was wonderful that I could do it while I was young and happy to be poor, but um, it, it wasn't really quite cutting it. So I took a job at a shop part-time as well while still making the clothes and then um, got to start doing some of the buying for the store. And one of my clients at the shop, uh, one of our customers suggested that I try styling. So I started just kind of hustling, doing any free styling I could for anybody who needed a, a clothing stylist. And um, I was still sewing a bit, but I definitely started spending more of my time focusing on styling and really fell in love with that and kind of pivoted into that as a career for about 10 years. And so was that fashion styling or interior styling? It was fashion styling. Um, I tried doing some prop styling and interior styling towards the end of my career, but the bulk of it was fashion styling, working with clothes. And it, it worked pretty well for me as a career for a long time until I had children. And it was all freelance and trying to find childcare at the last minute and those long 14-hour days on set. It just got to be too bonkers. Yeah, no, I can understand that. And was, um, so I'm just curious, um, well, first of all, you sort of mentioned yeah. earlier when you were a little bit younger that you, you know, you didn't have the confidence um, when you were, you know, that sort of, I think maybe even junior high or whatever, you know, those early years, what then do you think gave you the confidence to, first of all, you know, start actually doing this clothing line that you created and putting yourself out there and going and door knocking and, you know, doing approaching shops. And, and secondly, you know, what about the confidence to then actually, like you say, you know, go out and sort of offer to style for free and, and, you know, do that type of work as well. Like that's something that I think a lot of people really struggle with, you know, they have this desire, they have this, you know, this wish that they, you know, would love to do something, but they, they find all the reasons why they shouldn't do it. And, you know, like it's sort of, and that is often tied obviously with confidence. What do you think helped yeah. you or what did you go through, I guess, in your mind, if you can reflect on that, you know, to help you kind of go, okay, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> I have definitely always had a really supportive family. So um, even back in high school, when I was sewing, my parents both were really supportive. They bought me my first sewing machine when the sewing machine I'd been using, you know, fell apart. And 
um, kept encouraging me. And that, that was a big boost for sure. Um, but honestly, I think I just have always had this drive to, to create something myself. Um, I've been an entrepreneur since I was, you know, seven years old and making potions and trying to sell them from the end of our driveway. And, um, even though I didn't necessarily have the confidence, I still had this drive to do it and, and kind of this passion to create. And so I started very small and with the clothing, I had friends and other people who wanted the clothes before I necessarily started going, putting myself out there, going door to door. So I had enough of um, a push to kind of get me going. And then once I started, um, I'm, I'm a little obsessive, I think. So when I fall in love with something, then I just, I can't help myself. And it's all I want to do all the time. And it's been that way with ceramics too. It, this was never something that I intended to be my career. It was something that started because I just fell in love with it and was passionate about making it and loved the way that it felt to make things. Um, and then the business kind of has just been a byproduct of that. And, um, I guess a way to support my family. Yeah. I, I will ask you obviously about that whole well, journey, but I just wanted to ask you one more question about the styling. So, you know, were, were you working for, um, like small brands or was it sort of like bigger companies? Can you get paint a little bit of a picture of the types of shoots that you were styling and, and perhaps even just a little bit of like some of the lessons that you learned during that chapter of your career? Yeah. So most of, um, where I live is in Portland, Oregon, and most of the fashion styling here is sportswear based. So I worked a lot with high-end sportswear companies. Nike is here, Adidas is here, Columbia Sportswear, Sorel. Um, and then we have a couple real high-end outdoor companies as well, like Now. Um, and there were a few companies that I would work for and fly down to Los Angeles, but for the most part, my work was here. Um, and at the beginning of my career, I think I was so fulfilled because I was getting to be incredibly creative. I was often working with other creatives and we were executing a vision that we'd come up with together, but the more successful I got, the less I was in charge of my own vision and the more I was executing somebody else's. And that got to be, um, pretty disheartening at times, I guess, uh, as a creative person, it's the reason that I got into that career was to be able to be creative. And I was finding that I was having no creative freedom left. And that, um, yeah, that's when I, I think I realized that I needed to consider a change. Okay. That's so fascinating. You say about all those sportswear brands that are based in your area, because I mean, I, I don't know a lot about Portland, Oregon, but from what I do know, it seems like it's a very creative, maybe slightly alternative community. And it just to have then like these big sportwear, sportswear brands, it just, to me seems, yeah, it was very unexpected to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I think Oregon, um, the emphasis is so much on outdoor activities here. A lot of these brands, I think, began here because they saw this need that they, that they could fill um, for all this amazing outdoor 
uh, activewear. And then that's spun off into more sportswear as well. And it does feel ironic because I'm not sporty in the least. I, I attempted it. I, I did dance in high school and as a child and loved that, but I've never been um, very athletic. <laughs> so I always felt like I was a little at the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, no, I can relate. Um, and so then sort of what then happened, so, you know, like you said, you were starting to feel a little bit perhaps disenchanted or disconnected from the creative process. Um, and is that when then you had children and then did that process again, like I, I, you know, I hear a lot of people who, um, you know, I'm in contact with, you know, they, you know, do my courses or they, um, you know, just when I communicate with them, they sort of say like they've had this time out with their children and this it's sort of like this moment of evaluating like what do I want my next chapter to be? Was that your experience and and what led you then to ceramics? Yeah, definitely. It definitely um, puts a lot of things in perspective, I think, when you have to completely shift your focus and you can go from um, thinking about yourself and maybe your partner to then putting these little beings ahead of everything. And, um, I knew that I wasn't particularly happy in that career anymore, but I didn't really know what my other skills were. I'd been doing it so long that it's felt sort of like my safe place, I guess. Um, but with kids, I found myself coming home at the end of these days and not necessarily wanting to tell the girls what I've been doing all day, that I've been working in an industry that I wasn't feeling very passionate about anymore and that I wasn't even feeling like I necessarily wanted to be a part of. Um, so uh, my sweet husband gifted me this ceramics class in the evenings, one evening a week, just to, I think, try to help me reconnect with my creative side. <laughs> And I came home after the first class and I was just completely hooked. Like my cheeks were sore because I've been smiling all night long and I was covered in mud and filthy. And it was the absolute antithesis of a fashion shoot. And I just felt fulfilled and happy. And again, I never thought that would lead to this career, but I just kind of paid attention to it and kept doing it. And eventually after about four or five months of doing this ceramics class, I kind of had a health crisis. Um, this, it wasn't related to that. It was more related to the stress of my career, but um, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's that mostly affect, affects your thyroid, but kind of then affects the rest of your hormones as well. And so everything was just really imbalanced and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, but I was really sick and I just kept getting sicker. And I finally found a naturopath who was able to give me a diagnosis. And basically her, her main advice to me was you need to cut out stress in your life. You're, you're killing yourself and you need to figure out something different. So my sweet husband and I kind of looked at our finances and figured out we could do about, um, a year, six months to a year on his salary and our savings. And then after that, we'd have to make a change and I'd have to find another career if this wasn't going to be it. Um, and I just got rid of all of my styling stuff that was in our basement that had packed all of, of that space and filled it 
um, with a used wheel that I found online and that came with a free kiln. And I stayed home with my daughters. And then whenever they were asleep or sometimes they would come down and play with clay and sit with me, I would just be down there practicing and playing. And um, at about month four, a sweet friend of mine asked if I would like to sell a couple of my wonky pots in her shop. And they were not something that I was particularly proud of yet, but still something that was bringing me so much joy to do. And any excuse to make more of them felt like a one that I would jump on board with. So um, she started selling things in her shop and they started to take off. And so I was able to make more and slowly get a little bit better. And at about month six, when we were right at that breaking point of needing me to start being able to bring in an income again, I got my first large wholesale order. And that was what propelled me to basically start this, um, sorry, <laughs> start this career. I mean, obviously it's very scary when you have like a, a health, you know, crisis of sorts. And I, I do believe that our bodies really tell us what's going on in our lives. And I know for me, when I was working at a magazine doing interior styling, and I was kind of basically juggling two jobs on the magazine. And after every photo shoot, I would get these massive cold sores all over my lips. And I just knew, and I was exhausted, you know, and I was working really late in the night and I just knew like, this is just not sustainable. And I think for me, that was kind of my tipping point of like, I just, and my, I think I had my son by then, he was about three. My youngest daughter was about, I think she was about nine months old. And I just thought, this is just, you know, I've got to find another way. But for me, it was really scary to then take that step of like going freelance. I don't come from a family that, you know, is creative at all or anything like that. And it can be, you know, very scary to do that. But it sounds like you kind of had that, that buffer, like you say, in a way of those, you know, six months and then the orders started to come through. What? It was don't don't let me mislead you I was so scared right yeah yeah and how did like I mean how did you overcome that in a way like I think you know it's interesting to you know and so many people experience this they sort of worry about you know how can they support themselves financially how can um you know I mean there's no guarantees um right yeah. So, you know, what, what was your thought, thought process about that? Can you kind of provide a little bit of an insight? Yeah. My thought process was always that I, I had this backup in my mind that I would go work. There's a really nice grocery store down the street from us. That's generally hiring. I always thought if this doesn't pan out, I'll, I'll go work at this nice grocery store for a while. You know, I, I like people, I can talk to people and be friendly and then pivot from there if I need to. But um, yeah, I was, I was so scared. I just, I think at that point, I didn't feel like I had another option. I, I was so run ragged from my job and um, so physically unwell that I didn't feel like I had another choice, but to really just take care of myself and survive. And when you're a mom, like you're saying, there's, you, you really don't have another choice but to kind of keep moving forward and figure out how to take care of these kids and how to provide for these little 
beautiful little women that I was raising. And they were about the same ages as your kids were when I kind of hit this point. Um, so it didn't come, I don't think out of bravery. I think it came out of necessity. I didn't know what else to do. So I just kept doing what I felt good doing, which was making pottery. And I didn't know where it would lead, but, um, I knew that every day that I got out of bed and I went down and did it, that I felt positive and that I felt, uh, empowered and people seemed to be responding to my work, which was a feeling that I hadn't experienced in a long time. And with the background, I think in styling, I at least had the opportunity to take nice pictures of my weird wonky pots <laughs> and put them out into the world and started a little Instagram. And so I knew the value of, of creating this brand and knew how to do that. So I used that skill set to kind of help along uh, the other, this, this new creative endeavor. And can you give us a bit of a sense of like, how long ago was this now? And then obviously then your journey to, to where you are now, like were you, did you have that brand name, um, Notary Ceramics at that point, or, you know, has that evolved? Can you sort of shine a little bit of a light on the journey to where you are now? Yeah. So, um, that was about seven years ago. And again, I, I had just taken that one uh, beginning ceramics class and it was at this local art school and it was mostly me with a lot of older retired ladies. And I took the same beginning class twice. And then when I got my wheel and my kiln, I just started watching a lot of YouTube videos in my basement and practicing and trying things out and just kind of slowly taught myself um, the things that I wanted to know. And it was a big hurdle. It was a lot a lot of knowledge that I didn't possess that I wanted to learn. And, but going back to that kind of obsessive excitement about something, um, I just spent all of my waking time doing it. So, um, back to your question, I'm sorry, will you repeat it? Yeah. Well, so I was just curious. So you said it's about seven years ago and then I guess, you know, going from, you know, making things in your basement and having this sort of this one wholesale order that came through to your journey now to, you know, like you've got a shop, you've got, you know, you create like lots of different products. Um, yeah. yeah. Can you just kind of paint a little bit of a picture of the journey from that initial, you know, set up to, to where you are today? So I did have the name already. Um, I had a long time ago, I'd wanted to have a, a um, flower shop and I wanted to call it the Tulip Notary because I'd read about these notaries that popped up um, in Holland back in the day when tulips were so prized and people could bring their tulip bulbs to be notarized and then they could trade them for or barter with them. Um, so I had this this notary in my mind. And when we launched the ceramic brand, um, notary still felt very relevant because to notarize something is to authenticate an original or an original copy. And as a potter and a production potter, I'm making an original piece and then often many copies off of it um, that I'm throwing and then stamping with my notary stamp. So it felt like a good name for a, a ceramics brand. Although people still do ask me very frequently <laughs> why notary and also we'll get people come in the shop pretty often especially when we first opened with their documents wanting them notarized 
<laughs> so that was a hiccup that I didn't anticipate. Um, but yeah, after I, I worked in the basement for about two years and I hired an assistant during that time after about a year and a half who came in to help me with some of the production because I was starting to get these larger wholesale orders. Um, and after about two years, the basement with no windows and very little space and two of us working together felt incredibly cramped. So we started kind of shopping for spaces and we came across this darling little spot um, about a six minute drive from my house in this little standalone building that was for rent uh, for pretty cheap because they were planning on tearing this building down after two years. So we signed the lease and thinking, you know, well, this is all a gamble. We'll see if we even can make this last for two years. And originally I thought it would just be our studio. I didn't necessarily know that I would have a shop out of it, but I knew we needed more space and we could afford this space. So my assistant and I moved in and people kept coming to the windows all the time and trying to come in the door. And it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that we were going to be part of this little community and we had to figure out how to at least open the doors to, to it in some way. So we kind of portioned off this little uh, square and started selling small quantities of ceramics out of there and holding classes about once a week um, in the evenings to help cover the rent. And so, um, yeah, so can you sort of paint a picture now of, you know, where the shop is at? I mean, I know that you obviously have, um, you know, other brands that you represent within your shop, not just your ceramics, you know, you do collaborations with other brands. I mean, can you like give a paint a little bit of a picture of like the size of your company now? Um, I'm sure that you must have some kind of team that's helping you. Um, yeah, I'd love to know that. Yeah. Um, so it, it did start out very slowly with me and just this one other woman. Um, and then when we kind of created the shop, we needed somebody to help run the store as well. So after being in the space for about a year, we, I was able to hire a, a third person and now we're a team of six. So still quite small. And I still throw pretty much every piece. Um, I do work with a local company to help us with our dishware. We have our dishware pressed down the road by um, a company called Mud Shark Studios, which is here in Portland. And they're able to help me with my dinnerware. So I throw the original and then they hand press the copies off of it. Um, so we're able to keep our shelves really stocked now, and it's nice to be able to have things constantly in stock, which has always been an issue since I've been the primary maker. Yeah. I've never wanted the business to grow so much that I didn't have my hands in the clay every day, because that's that was the whole point of this and why this worked for me. Um, and that's been a hard uh, balance to find while the business has grown, be able to still kind of continue to make. But I'm really lucky. I have a really good team now who run the shop. I have a woman who does all the, who manages the store and the employees with me. Um, somebody else who does all the shipping. And then we have some girls who work on the weekends. And I have a, a part-time assistant who does all of the glazing with me as well. Yeah. Was it hard, you know, as somebody who 
is obviously has got a very strong creative vision and um, very hands-on to to let go of certain parts of the business. Um, I'm yes. curious about your experience because I that's certainly where I struggle. So um, I'm always interested to learn of yeah fellow creatives about that letting go process. Yes, it was really hard. I went to um, a couple meetings of of other female entrepreneurs, and I got some really good advice on like the second or third meeting that I went to from this other woman who'd been in business for a long time. And she kind of said, like, you have to make a choice. You, you can be in total control and drive yourself completely crazy <laughs> and your business can stay small, or you can get out of your own way and hire people to do the jobs that you're not necessarily as equipped for and that they're better at anyway and feel supported and have a team around you. And, um, and taking that leap, hiring that first person and basically not taking a paycheck for six months so that I could pay her was terrifying, but it was, it was necessary. And it got me to where I am now where I can employ five or six other people to work with me and help me run this company. Yeah. Great advice. Um, and so I'm also curious, I mean, obviously in more recent years, ceramics have kind of going through a bit of a boom, you know, like this, I think people yes. love ceramics, you know, the sort of the handmade um, artisanal qualities. How do you differentiate yourself in the market? You know, what's your point of difference and how, um, yeah, like I'd, I'd be interested to hear, you know, like in, in, in what can be a very crowded marketplace, you know, how do you fit into that? And, you know, what's been key to your success in standing out? So when I started Notary, it started as a really quiet brand and I've continued with that. I think um, another good piece of advice I got was to be consistent and that was even back when I was making clothing to kind of find your your path or um, your aesthetic and stick with it and not deviate too far from it. And so right when I began, I, I knew that I wanted to work with quiet, kind of serene color palette because that's what I'm drawn to. That's kind of the surroundings that we have here in Oregon. Everything's muted and gray and... Um, very tonal. And that's what I love surrounding myself with in my own home. So before that was necessarily a trend, it's it's just always what I was drawn to. And so when I started Notary, I, I picked three or four colors and stuck with them and have continued doing that today. Even though there's been trends that have kind of come through during my seven or eight years in this business of kind of these brighter colors or more patterns and um, you know, boob shapes and all different <laughs> polka dots. I've tried to really stay focused on what I started with. And, um, I think that's been really beneficial. I think people who were drawn to notary in the beginning or kind of kind of come along somewhere in the middle of this journey have stuck with us and, um, hopefully have been happy that we've kind of weathered that storm and stayed consistent as well. I think one of the challenges with that though, can be particularly with creatives is, you know, you want the next challenge, you want to spread your creative wings, 
And so I completely agree, like being consistent is important, but have you had to navigate that at all? Sort of feeling a little bit restless, like, oh, I want to do something a little bit different. Like, I mean, obviously it's not going to be wildly different, yeah. but, you know, to sort of um, still, you know, explore and create different things while remaining true to your aesthetic and, you know, your personal style and values and all of those things. Yeah, definitely. I think that's where those collaborations have come in for me. So when I can work with other creatives and get to help them create their their vision, um, we've started working a lot with interior designers on larger scale projects for lighting and bigger pieces. And that's where I get to, like we say, fly my freak flag <laughs> when I get to make these um bigger pieces that aren't necessarily the things that we have on our shelves every day at the shop, but are things that I can go in the back of the studio and spend three days creating and are really fulfilling to me. I think if I had to make the same candle holder over and over again for the next 30 years, I would go absolutely insane. <laughs> but um, I luckily I have enough of these other projects and um, I started the lighting collection about two years ago and that's been really, really um, fulfilling for me to, to be able to work with people all over the world on these projects for their homes and then get to see where our lights end up. It's been wonderful. Seeing yours in your yeah. home has been really fun. I love it. Yeah. As, uh, for the listeners, I'm sitting in the studio and I've got one of Sarah's beautiful um, table lamps behind me and I love it and I've used it on so many shoots as well and it goes so beautifully in different spaces so um, it's very much treasured possession um, so I'm, I'm also always really interesting I think people you know love to kind of get a bit of a little sneak peek behind the scenes in terms of you know how you structure your your days your weeks your projects um, can you give us a little bit of an insight into that yeah, of course. Um, so right now it's the holiday season, so it's extra bonkers. Um, I have two daughters, they're nine and 11, and the 11 year old one goes to school right down the street from my shop. So every day after school at about 3.40, she shows up here and we created a little loft above kind of our bathroom area. So she goes up there and does her homework and we'll practice. Um, her saxophone sometimes in the shop and it's a it's a lively environment for sure <laughs> but I also relish the few hours that I get in the morning before we open after I drop the girls off of school I have about three hours where I just get to uh putter around the shop kind of restyle this the shelves if I want to or start throwing or glaze something respond to emails and then at noon, we open the doors and we start to get customers in. And our shop is in this little neighborhood that um, is pretty adorable and very welcoming. And we have a lot of regulars. So we get lots of people who come in just to chat or just to drop off a, <laughs> a coffee or interact with us um, during our week. And those are moments that I've come to really uh, look forward to. And then in the evenings, um, I try to get out of here by 5, 5.30. My husband works from home, so he always makes dinner. We have a deal that if I'm not home by 6, then they're going to eat without me. So I try to get home by 6. That's always my goal. And it's it's always difficult. I don't know why, but something always comes up right at the end of the day. So I feel like I'm constantly scrambling to get there. 
in time not to let them all down. But um, yeah, we're finding that rhythm right now. <laughs> I'm spending extra time uh, in the morning so that I, when that alarm goes off at 5.30, I, I get the hell out of here. Yeah, no, good. It sounds, um, I mean, we have something similar at home as well. We have similar di dinner time um, routine. Yeah. Um, and my husband gets <laughs> most of the time at the moment as well, so which is great. Um, I mean, how do you find switching off from work as well? Like, I'm curious about that. I think when you've got, when you're passionate about what you do, when you, you know, you've got your own business, I mean, there's so many facets to that, um, you know, in terms of, you know, of course you want it to be successful. You want to feel like you're kind of getting that right balance with, with work and life, but you know, how do you find that process of either switching off or, you know, trying to kind of rein in the sort of the many areas of, of the work. Um, and yeah, I'm just curious about that. Um, yeah, I, I get, I think asked that question quite a bit, especially by other moms who work or other parents who, um, have full-time jobs. And I, tend to tell people that I think balance is kind of bullshit because I always feel imbalanced in one way or the other. Either I'm spending more time with my family because one of my daughters is sick or they just need more from me at the moment, or I'm spending more time at work because we're in the middle of a huge project. One way or the other, I feel like I'm constantly a, a bit imbalanced and I've just kind of tried to give myself permission for that to be okay and know that I'm giving it my all all the time <laughs> and I I can only do so much and so as long as I feel connected to my family and my friends and my business is continuing to um stay afloat then I feel like I'm I'm doing the best I can and there are days when of course, I beat myself up about it. Again, I'll always have <laughs> these little women to come home to who are a constant reminder of my main priority, which is always going to be my family. And my business is my passion. So it's also always going to be something that I think about. So when I'm home with them and we're watching a children's cartoon in the evening, sometimes I'll be working on a blog post. <laughs> and then sometimes when I'm at the shop, they'll be sitting next to me reading me their reports um we just kind of it kind of all melds together and for some reason we've figured out a way to make that work so that everybody's relatively happy most of the time yeah you've just got to do what feels right for you and i think you know within yourself when something feels right or it feels off and i think it's kind of tuning into that kind of intuition isn't it about you know what feels mm -hmm. right for you I also yeah. want to ask you about Instagram because obviously as a small business owner, you know, it's one of the key ways to, to get your name out there, to help sell product. Um, you've got a beautiful feed. Um, you know, it's got such a beautiful, peaceful feel to it. What's, what's your approach to Instagram? How do you choose to use it and what do you find works for you? And also, how do you manage the workload that comes with Instagram? Because it's a very hungry beast. <laughs> and, you know, particularly as a small business owner, you know, that's like, on the one hand, of course, you know, you want to be getting your work out there, but 
it can sometimes feel like it just monopolizes so much of your time, creative energy, mental energy. How do you navigate Instagram? Um, I have a wonderful photographer that I work with a couple times a month um, who photographs most of our pieces and we do lifestyle shots or shoots with her every couple months as well. So for me, building up a big um, bulk of content to have to pull from at any time has been key. So I'm not scrambling and trying to find imagery at the last minute. I have a really nice gallery that I'm able to pull from from years past um, or for more current things that we're trying to promote or push. Um, But Instagram, especially when I began Notary, it was really instrumental. It's changed a lot. I've noticed that like we aren't, our posts just aren't getting seen the way that they used to. Stories are now such a big part of um, what people see. And now we're all supposed to be making these videos and reels on top of everything else. And I simply can't keep up. So I've chosen to not try to kill myself making all the reels and the video content where I know that our strengths lie in the stills and in the shoots that um that this photographer her name is chris labeouf that she and i work on together so i try to lay out about a week in advance worths of content i use planally which is really helpful and then you can schedule posts ahead of time so even if i'm in bed and have forgotten to do it that day i know that it will get posted that takes something off my plate Um, And then kind of like we were talking about at the beginning of the brand, kind of creating this particular look or this aesthetic um, and this color palette, I've tried to stay pretty true to that throughout, even though we'll bring in different colors here and there, it's all sort of in those earth tones. And that I think helps a lot with, with a feed so that it doesn't feel so busy. If it's at least tonally kind of matching, then it's a little bit more pleasing on the eye. So I try to keep that in mind as well, which is sometimes hard because some of the most beautiful photographs, you know, we'll take for the website, we'll have colors that I'll put on the feed and then realize that it just doesn't, doesn't work. So then I'll throw it in the stories or something so I can still get it out into the world. And what about the captions? You know, again, I know that this is something that a lot of people struggle with, um, yes. you know, because I think that it, yeah, like captions can sometimes make or break a post, you know, in terms of, you know, getting interest from people or, you know, having something interesting or value to share or whatever it is. Like how, how do you approach that? I try to keep things relatively personal. Um, because we are such a small company, I think people don't even know how small we really are. Um, but because we're so tiny, I want the the feelings that I evoke through the post to to demonstrate that it it really is me here. You know, I'm I'm often the one answering the emails, I'm often the one answering the DMs and um, writing the posts. So I want it to come from a place that feels personal, um, but also you know, I, I, I'm aware that it's a business tool and it's a way to promote our new pieces. So I try to use it in that way as much as I can as well. Um, but I try to find a balance so it doesn't feel like we're just selling all the time so that it also feels like people can see that this is a human being on the other end of this, um, and hopefully find some connection through that. 
Yeah, beautiful. Okay, um, I've got some questions that I like to ask at the end of the interview and um, they're just sort of like quicker ones, whatever comes to mind. So we'll start, um, the first one is often the trickiest one, um, but give it your best shot. So which five words best describe you? Okay, that is tricky. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say friendly, um, kind, determined, maybe impulsive, (laughs) um, hardworking, and that's five. (laughs) Sorry, what were you going to say? What was the final one you were going to say? I think loving. I I have a big heart and I um I really care about the people who are in my world. So I yeah, I, to a fault maybe sometimes. Oh, that's nice though. Um what's the best life or career lesson you've learned? Um I think to surround yourself with people that make you feel good. Um, I think COVID taught a lot of us that as well, when we kind of got to strip down our lives and our worlds to those very most important people and most important things. Um, it it definitely, um, I don't know, it shone a light on the things that I wanted to focus on. And a lot of the people around me, I think, felt the same. And so for me, it's just surrounding myself with those very few, very important people um, that truly inspire me and make me feel loved and um, comfortable. Yeah, no, beautiful. Um, what's your proudest career achievement? I think it was when I was able to pivot from selling wholesale to being able to sell primarily our own um products and bring in third party products to our our website and our shop and our shop um so i wasn't having to hustle quite so hard to fulfill all these wholesale orders all over the country and all over the world and now we get to work with our customers one on one um i find that a lot more fulfilling yeah interesting because sometimes it's the other way around isn't it that people yes. you know they have the sort of more consumer business but they they want the scale of the the wholesale so interesting yeah i I didn't like that nearly as much as being able to make products for people one-on-one it's more fun and and i like to connect with our customers and so it's been it's been a good move yeah um what's been your best decision um I think leaving my other career behind um, and focusing on my health and my family, that changed everything for me. Who inspires you? My kids the most, um, my husband, my parents, and my friends. But day to day, it's those little girls. They're funny and witty and smart and weird. and they adore me unconditionally in a way that I have never been loved before. Um, and I love seeing what they make and create and how they see the world. It's offered me a new perspective. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
what are you passionate about? Um, I'm definitely passionate about ceramics. <laughs> I love um, being creative. I love getting dirty and I love feeling tired at the end of the day. Um, I'm also passionate about my family, spending time with my kids and my husband, getting away from work. We just got back from Oaxaca um, and we got to see a new culture and experience that together. And it was definitely life changing. And I'm very passionate about travel and haven't gotten to do it for a long time. And it awoke something in me getting to travel again. And now I'm starting to plan our next adventure. It's exciting. Um, what dream do you still want to fulfill? Um, I guess I would love to live abroad at some point with my family, or at least with my husband. I was lucky enough to live abroad with my husband when we were about 26. We moved to New Zealand and quit our jobs and just got to live in a crappy little Mitsubishi station wagon and drive around the country for a year. And I'd love to have an adventure like that with my family. Great. Um, what are you reading at the moment? What's on your bedside table? I am reading um, the, it's by Gerald Durrell and it's called My Family and Other Animals. And it's the novel that um, the Durrells in Corfu was based off of. And it's wonderful. Is it? I'm reading the right now. Yes. And I can't wait to read the rest of them. Yeah, no, I, I've, um, I love that TV series and I thought, yeah, so maybe, maybe that'll be my next book. <laughs> um, and when I get into something, I get really into something. So yeah, yeah, I completely get it. Um, what are you listening to? Do you listen to podcasts? Um, or otherwise, if you don't listen to podcasts, like what kind of music do you like listening to? Um, right now, because it's the holidays, I have been binging um, the Willie Nelson holiday uh, album, I guess, <laughs> um, and also the new Nora Jones holiday album. They're both really good. Um, I do listen to podcasts. I tend to like real humorous ones. One of my favorite ones right now is Smartless. Um, it's just goofy and sweet and we have a beach house about an hour and a half away and I, I listen to that back and forth. And then the other thing I listen to constantly in the car are books on tape with my daughters. Great. They love and that. <laughs> what piece of advice would you, this is the last one, which, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Um, I would say not to operate out of fear. I think it's really easy to let fear stand in the way of getting almost anything accomplished. Um, but generally, the the thing that we're so afraid of really isn't usually that scary. And failing isn't as terrifying as we make it out to be. It kind of gives us an opportunity to figure out what it is that we should be doing. Yeah, I found so that multiple times. Yeah, so true. And I think, um, you know, I, I sort of heard something recently along the lines of, you know, like it's there's, in some ways there's no such thing as failure. Like it's just like a learning opportunity. It's just giving you data or information to sort of go, okay, that didn't work, but now I can try it this way or I can do, you know, and I think sometimes when we think of um, 
you know, we can so easily go into like that binary, like it's right or it's wrong, you know, and like I, I did it well or I did it bad or, you know, whereas it's just it's just information. It's like, oh, OK, that worked or it didn't work or, or whatever it is. And now I just take the next step. So, yeah, I find that yeah. helpful to think of it in that way. I think it helps with parenting, too. And and seeing your kids fail, you know, and seeing how easily they're able to just move on. It's a good lesson. I try to emulate that if possible. Yeah, yeah. I know so much to do with parenting is like, yeah, being just in the moment. Like, oh, the children are just completely in the moment. I find that all the time. Like, I'll be so upset about something and they've completely moved on. (laughs) It's really refreshing. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sarah. I really appreciate learning more about you and your story and your journey and um, taking, you know, I appreciate you taking time out of your day, particularly as I know that it can be a busy time of year. So um, thank you for joining me on the podcast. And um, yeah, I I guess I should say, so what's the best way for people to connect with you in terms of if they'd like to see your work or learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, I think um, our website's probably the easiest place to go. Um, and it's just notaryceramics.com. And then our Instagram is also a pretty um, good way to stay up to date with everything. I try to do at least one post a day about something that's going on around the shop or around the studio. So it's um, at notaryceramics.home. And um, you ship internationally, don't you? We do. Yes, yeah. proudly. wonderful um all right well thanks again and um yeah i look forward to hopefully connecting again with you in real life one time i would love that thanks natalie all of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint.